0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Mark writes that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. This is our text, dear friends in our Lord Jesus. Some 30 years ago, the daughter of one of our former presidents brought home to the White House one Friday afternoon a homework assignment. Stumped by a particular question on the Industrial Revolution, she sought help from her mother. Well, the First Lady was also a bit fogged by the question. And in turn, she asked an aide to seek clarification from the Labor Department. And a rush, a rush was put on the request since the assignment was due on Monday. Well, thinking the question was a serious request from the president himself, a Labor Department official immediately cranked up the government computer called in all the staff kept a full team of technicians and programmers working all weekend long overtime to complete the project the massive computer printout was delivered finally by truck to the white house on sunday afternoon and the presidential daughter showed up in class with the official answer the following day her teacher though her history teacher wasn't so impressed When the paper was returned to her, it was marked atop with a big red C on it. Her teacher wasn't so impressed, but it's obvious that the labor department official was impressed. Why? Because he understood the words to be the president's words. Authoritative words. We find that the churchgoers of Capernaum knew an authoritative word when they heard it too. Our text says that they were astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Now, authority is a thing often misperceived. Authority is not necessarily in how something is said, although that's often the perception of things. You might recall another presidential episode, the memorable claim or the apparent claim made by Secretary of State under President Reagan, Alexander Haig. Remember, it was March 30th, 1981, the new president, Reagan, had been shot by a would-be assassin's bullet, and and there was Haig fielding questions before an information, and obviously information-hungry press corps. And Secretary Haig stated firmly, I am in control here. Authoritatively said, but it wasn't so, according to the presidential line of succession authoritatively said, but it wasn't necessarily the case. Whether the bold statement was a claim really to his own authority or not, it's really beside the point because it goes to show that authority, authority is not necessarily in how the words are said. Authority rests in who says it and in what's said. Those synagogue churchgoers, they recognized authority. Now, no doubt Jesus knew how to say it. No doubt that he taught as a master. No doubt his rhetorical skill was unparalleled, his insight divine, his articulation, just what it needed to be. His ability to reach intimately each listener unlike any pastor or preacher ever before or ever after. No doubt that it was in part the how that moved throngs to come and hear him and to call this relatively young 30 or so year old Nazarene rabbi. Or to ascribe to him the reverend title, good teacher. But authorities, not necessarily in how it's said, but who says it. And consider who said it. Him whom the the Bethlehem angels testified that he was the Son of God incarnate. Here, speaking, him of whom it was confirmed while he ascended from Jordan's baptismal waters by no less authority than God the Father himself. That, yes, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Here, speaking, is him upon whom the Holy Spirit of God descended like a dove, marking him the anointed, the Messiah, the one sent from God. Here, speaking, We heard Moses say it in the Old Testament reading him of whom Moses by the Holy Spirit once said it is to him that you shall listen. Here speaking him of whom the Lord once said we heard it in the Old Testament reading again I will raise up from them a prophet like you Moses. I'll put my words in his mouth my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. You see, if you want credentials for authority, there it is. There are his credentials. Indeed, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. But the authority wasn't just in who said it, but also in what was said. Because the text says they were astonished at his teaching. That is, didache in the Greek. At his doctrina in the Latin text. His doctrine. The word Didache can mean his his act of teaching, but here it seems to indicate also that his doctrine. They were amazed at his doctrine. The truth, true doctrine possesses its own gravitas, doesn't it? Its own pull, its own weight, its own sway. And the suggestion here, they were were dumbfounded, it says, by this new teaching, this new doctrine that they were hearing. It's an interesting Greek word, the word for new, kine. It means new in freshness. New in freshness, mind you, it wasn't novelty. Jesus wasn't making up something new. No, the truth, as one has said, is ever older than all heresy. He wasn't making up something new, but this didache, this doctrine was fresh in its newness compared to the stale and the arid doctrine and the stale and the arid homilies of their scribes. Homilies, as one has put it, that were intricate with legal pettiness and labyrinthine system. Those concerned only about priests and Pharisees and temples, synagogues, schools, Sanhedrin, Mostly occupied with things infinitely little, not holy, this one said, devoid of significance, but occupied a thousandfold more with Levitical minutiae about the length of tassels or the washing of hands or cups or platters, so that in vain do they worship God, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. No, that was not Christ's doctrine. Not the truth. Christ's teaching? Christ's teaching was fresh. Christ's teaching was this. He says, rest from all the do this and do that. Rest, you weary. I've come to do the work. I've come to bring good news to you, the downtrodden. I've come to heal your brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, those captive in sin, to give sight to the inwardly and the outwardly blind. I've come to do the work is his doctrine you repent repent of all the work that you would do repent and rest he says i'm the daily bread from heaven so take and eat i'm the living the fresh living waters so take and drink go ahead and take and eat and take and drink and let me he says be the gospel christ teaching." True doctrine is an astonishing thing, isn't it? True doctrine is a blessed thing. Some dismiss it, doctrine. They they dismiss it as dead. And some deride it as divisive, saying it gets in the way of unity. Some render it expendable, saying that what we need are more deeds and, and less creeds. But what was it? Do you recall What was it that was so highly important for the newly resurrected Christ to impart to his Emmaus disciples on that road? Luke writes, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's doctrine. Doctrine, it says, And their hearts burned within them as he opened the scriptural doctrine to them. He taught the truth by authority. He taught the truth with authority, not as their scribes. And then in the text, Mark goes on to say, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Seems like an odd transition, doesn't it? That Mark puts in there, but you know it's not. It's not surprising at all. Think of what was happening there in Capernaum with his teaching, with his doctrine, Christ Jesus in that sermon is wending his way into darkened hearts, casting his brilliant light upon him, silently through his word, silently unlocking, turning the key and unlocking hearts captive in their sin. It's not surprising at all that the devil would want it to stop. See what Luther once said, where where Christ builds a church, right there the devil puts up a chapel. Where the true doctrine of Christ is, there the devil will be at work and you can count on it. You yourself know. You know the distractions that he throws your way, be it here in your own Capernaum congregation. Right here, while God's work is doing its thing, or you know the distractions that can be at home all of home's distractions that would keep us from considering that word of god and from considering it in prayer you can count on these distractions to come the devil will send them because as another has put it there's nothing the devil despises more than doctrine there's nothing the devil despises more than not, than doctrine there's there's nothing he says more dangerous to the devil And his demons than for a Christian to know what he believes about Christ and why. And so, not surprising at all, breaking there on the scene, interrupting, distracting, disrupting, disturbing Christ's word, doing its thing in the hearts of the Capernaum congregation, there was this demon. And I'm sure the demon meant it for harm, because they always do, but God meant it for good. Because you see, God permitted the demon to speak or to shriek, really. A poignant question for us to consider today. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What with me, Jesus? It's a good question. It's a good question. What's the answer? Well, we should listen. We should be quiet and silent and listen to the Lord's authoritative word. We don't always do that, do we? Often wrongly, we'll charge ahead, drawing our own conclusions, answering the question ourselves, just like the demon did. Remember, what have you to do with us, Jesus? You've come to destroy us. He answers his own question. And we do that too, often. We answer the question ourselves. What have you, Jesus, to do with me? Well, perhaps you've already decided. Jesus would have nothing to do with you. Because of your own demons from yesteryear or yesterday that haunt you. They seem to possess you. The guilt that weighs upon you. The the wrong that you know you've done. But you're wrong. Be silent and listen to him who speaks to you. Wrongly, sometimes we might answer the question that's not ours to answer. By saying, I am in control here. And so, Jesus, what, have, what need have I with you? But wrong again. Be silent and listen to him. Sometimes in answer to the question, what Jesus of Nazareth have you to do with me, don't, we don't stop, do we? We don't stop and listen to God's authoritative voice. Instead, we put words in his mouth. And we teach doctrines of men as though they were God's didache, his teaching. My friends, listen. Be silent and do no more than listen. Listen to the Lord's answer, the Christ's teaching, his didache to that all-important question. What, Jesus, have you to do with me? I came that you may have life, he says, and have it to the full. I came to save that which was lost, namely you. I came not to be served, but to serve you and to give my life as a ransom for you. I came to destroy him who had the power of death, the devil, by whom you were all held in bondage. I came because my father so loved the world that he sent me and I willingly came. And I came not to condemn the world, he says, but that the world may have life through me and my cross. What have I, he says, to do with you? I came to lay down my life for you, my friends, so that you who once were far off would now be brought near to God by my blood. I've come, my word, to cleave your darkness. To bespeak you righteous, bright with mine own holiness, I've come to make all things new, starting right here, right now, with you. And so forgetting the what wrong lies behind you, remembering that you're baptismally untangled from and released from and freed from and cleansed from that which possessed you and stained you, in confidence now. You can press onward in the favor of my Father, he says, to the heavenly goal that I'm keeping for you with my almighty hand and my authoritative word. That's his word. That's his teaching. That's what he has to do with you, friends. And don't doubt it. Don't doubt it, but leave this assembly today as free from your demons as the demonically possessed Man, that demonically freed man at Capernaum was from his. Freed from, by God's authoritative word and backed by his blood. Be not doubting, but believe. You want proof that God's word has weight? Well, then consider, is the sun still set in the sky? Where God's word once placed it? Do tree and bird and plant and, and beast still bring forth according to their kind as God once decreed? Does the day still follow the night as he once ordered? Does the moon still govern the evening tide as he so commissioned it once to do? Or are the ordered seasons that yet run in succession and the rainbows that yet arc over dry land, not enough to assure you of the weight of his word? My friends, take heart and take rest in the teaching of Christ. And then go home today confident in it. Confident that you're freed from your past. You're forgiven in the present. You're beloved by God into heaven's eternal future. If it were my word alone, I'd tell you, take it for what it's worth. But the word is God's. And so take it for what it's worth. In his blessed name. Amen.